Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hi, listeners. This is Chad Madden with the Grow Your Practice podcast. And today in this episode, I want to cover something that just came up uh, within our clinic. It's not a new problem or a new concern, but one of our physical therapists uh, recently stopped me and asked, why aren't we leading with manual therapy, the type of treatment that we offer within our advertising? We're advertising direct to the consumer. Why aren't we telling more people that we're certified in manual therapy? So a little bit of a backstory here um, as I go into this, but uh, I, I love manual therapy. It completely changed my life um, in, in terms of my professional career, uh, very much revolutionized how we were delivering care. Um, at the same time, there are some things that leading with treatment type in marketing uh, very much violates the marketing principles that we know works best. So in this episode, I want to walk through exactly how to think through it from the patient's perspective, from a potential referral sources perspective, and also the insurance company's uh, perspective as well. And in doing so, it'll help you create direct-to-consumer marketing that is more effective. All right. So just uh, one backstory here that I want to get into is very early on. I was interviewing uh, in my private practice career, was interviewing a therapist. Um, I honestly am forgetting his first name or his complete name. I believe his first name might have been Eric. Um, and anyhow, uh, was going through the interview process and Eric had a ton of certifications after his name. So I'm, I'm guessing 20 plus letters, obviously was extremely intelligent, extremely accomplished um, in, in terms of his clinical skill set. And we got to, uh, we were having a discussion um, in the interview process, and I believe he was a director already and was um, asking for quite a bit in terms of compensation. But the one thing that we do within our practice when we're interviewing uh, a DPT is we have them, or a clinician, we have them uh, treat. And we they do it in front of the director. So they get 15 minutes. I have a longstanding cervical and shoulder problem that isn't going away anytime soon. I've had it for 30 plus years with multiple accidents and ATVs, car accidents, football, fractured collarbone, the whole deal. Anyhow, we had, they can do the clinician and the working interview can do anything that they want to assess it. You know, they look, can look at my cervical range of motion, uh, certainly my shoulder strength, grip strength, upper extremity strength, nerve tension test, whatever it is that they want to do to screen me out and see what's going on. They can certainly do that. Within that 15 minutes, not only do they have to do the the pretest, but they have to uh, they're expected to provide an intervention, a meaningful treatment, and then retest and show some sort of improvement. In the best case scenario, like we had um, one of our current clinical directors, Jan Grove, as a a student DPT, um, treated me and improved my grip strength about 40 pounds within the 15 minutes. So I I typically get you know the classic ulnar nerve uh, weakness. I think I was a 110 and uh, before treatment and then after was a 150. And it, it was legit. I, I mean, she resolved a lot of my symptoms. I had increased range of motion, at least temporarily. And uh, it, it was great. 
on the other end, this gentleman, uh, we went through and we were 15 minutes in and he was still on the, the testing phase. So hadn't provided intervention yet. And, uh, I didn't say anything, but, uh, we were about 35 minutes in and I said, okay, I, I, I get where you're going here. And it was almost analysis paralysis was trying to think way too much, way too deep into what I had going on. <clears throat> I said, you know, I, I want to share something with you. We are in a direct to consumer model. We don't rely on physician referrals. This is not a physician owned practice. This is not a health healthcare owned practice or a healthcare system owned practice. We don't work for the hospital system. When somebody walks through the door and they have a $40 or $75 copay or $5,000 deductible, um, or they're coming in for cash um, because we don't participate with their insurance, we have to produce a meaningful result. And we have a fairly short window to do that. My concern is that you have so much education and you're used to treating a certain way that you can't do a test, treat, retest um, in a, a meaningful period of time. And uh, he pretty strongly disagreed with me and, you know, essentially shared how I believe I, or he shared how he thought I was wrong. And then I understood that it was very much in the certifications because he kept bringing up the number of certi certifications that he had. He kept bringing that up and I said, okay, well, let's, let's do this. When you're working here, do you think physicians are going to refer more to you because of your certifications. And he said, absolutely. And I said, pick one certification that you have that you believe that physicians respect and value the most. And he said, OCS. And I said, great. Here's my viewpoint. OCS is fantastic for peer-to-peer -peer recognition. The second that I hear OCS, I think higher, better of, of that clinician. It, it's great for peer-to-peer -peer recognition. However, Physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs who are signing, they have no idea what that means. And he said, I, I disagree. And I said, okay, so here's my, my physician list of 800 potential physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs that we're currently marketing, marketing to. You pick one. And I said, the only one that you can't pick is Frank DeLeo because he is a physical therapist as well who became a DO. Um, and I believe that was in the 1950s. But I said, he's the only one that you can't talk to anybody else I'll ask. And um, Eric, if that was his name, never got to that point. Um, but he said, you know, I disagree and they know what it is. And I just started asking and I went to my, you know, handful of physician friends, nurse practitioner, PAs. And I said, Hey, do you know what this is? And they had no idea what an OCS was, uh, what it meant behind a physical therapist's name. They didn't even completely understand DPT versus PhD versus MSPT or anything like that. It's the farthest thing from the radar because it's not in their language. It's in our language. So here's the big mistake that we're going to make typically as clinicians. We will, we have a conversation going on in our mind about what we think is worthy of respect, is worthy of marketplace value. And the mistake is we frequently take our own viewpoint as a clinician and we put it in those other buckets of people, the other markets of people that we're dealing with, whether it be our patient base, you know, and marketing direct to the consumer. And we believe that our patients share the same exact values and viewpoint of our clinical skill set that they, that, you know, we have, and that's not true. 
Same thing with the insurance companies, same thing with potential referral sources. So when I was talking with our uh, the the physical therapist who asked me, his name is Christian, and I asked for permission uh, to share the story. When I was talking with Christian um, and he brought this up, I said, listen, like I have, I've done it. I've done the AB split, AB split test led with manual therapy first. Um, and it's just, it's not what the patient is looking for. It's actually a mismatch. And I'm going to share why. Now, it's not that we never reveal that we do manual therapy or certified manual therapy. And again, realize the context is, is that we have, I believe, 10 DPTs on staff right now that teach the certified orthopedic manual therapy course, right? Um, we have, I believe, a residency or a fellowship program. Um, we, our clinicians are excellent manual therapists, and they teach how to do it. But that doesn't mean we're going to lead directly to the consumer with that. And I, when I was talking with Christian, I said, you know, and at one point, we surveyed 3,100 back pain and sciatica sufferers from all over the world. Not once did manual therapy come up as a, a want or need or desire, right? Most patients aren't aware enough. They don't have a high level of awareness that they know that they're looking for you know, a certified orthopedic manual therapist, or that they're looking for somebody who can do a grade five, you know, lumbopelvic thrust mobilization, or however you want to look at that. It's the same thing, whether we're talking about manual therapy, uh, any other certification, McKenzie, Mulligan, you get the idea. Um, the patients don't understand that. What they do and what we know from the survey of the 3,100 back pain and sciatica sufferers is basically they feel like they've tried everything for treatment, whether or not that's true. It's real to them. Remember, it's not its not really important what's going on in our mind. It's important what's going on in the patient's mind, specifically when we want to effectively market to them. So they believe that they're all alone, that they're the first person to ever have this malady, this you know musculoskeletal neurological issue. They, What they desperately wonder is, am I ever going to be normal again? So typically their pain, their health challenges preventing them from doing something and they just want to get back to that. So you and I have probably have treated a handful of runners that, you know, they just want to get back to running again or, um, you know, I go to a jujitsu gym. So they just want to, they want somebody, a clinician to tell them that you don't have to stop doing, going to the gym or, you know, cycling, whatever it might be. And they just want to get back to doing that, you know, for other people, it might be walking or going up and down stairs or playing pickleball. You get the idea. Can I, am I going to be normal again? Can I just get back to that? That is all with the, the general level of awareness within who we're marketing to. That's essentially where people are at. So the second that we start talking about anything other than the transformation that can happen with treatment, we lose people. Right? They don't understand why manual therapy is important. And the other thing that it violates a little bit is it's a lot of talk about us versus talking about the other person. When we talk about the person and show them that we understand that we're going to be empathetic, that we understand where they're at, what that does is there's a reciprocal and psychological trigger that when we focus on them, asking them relevant questions, how long has this been going on for? What have you tried for treatment so far? How did that work? What's your pain stopping you from doing? When we ask those types of questions what and we focus solely on them, then what happens is people convert. Case in point, 
Back in 2010, I started posting YouTube videos primarily for patients that I was seeing. It was something new and fun to do. And I would, you know, had the flip camera with the single red button and the USB port. And I would up, you know, film videos for clients, for patients, and then give them, you know, here's the three exercises that you can do for your back pain and sciatica. They, many of them went viral. And what happened is got an influx of more comments and requests than I could possibly handle as a clinician. And in having many of those conversations, I never told people about how, you know, what that I took spine study, you know, advanced spine studies at Misericordia University in 1999. They didn't really care, right? I didn't give them my CV or anything like that. Through my questioning, they had incre an increased amount of confidence that I could, that I had seen their problem before and that I could handle it. So much so that we had people fly in from California, Idaho, uh, down from Canada, drive in from Manhattan. I treated a Fortune 50 CEO who drove out, drove out here from uh, New Jersey, had people fly up from Atlanta, um, Kentucky, drive up from Baltimore, DC. You get the idea. Uh, out from Pittsburgh, which is four and a half hour drive. You get the idea. And there's nothing special about what I'm doing as a clinician. I do not have a doctorate. I don't have many certifications. In fact, uh, they're probably all expired by this point. But I do understand what the patient wants. And the purpose of me sharing this is not to let you know that, hey, by the way, there's something great about me. No, it's that when I want you to understand this, <laughs> I want you to understand it for your professional career because you can increase the demand for your services when you do and you start um, implementing this within your marketing efforts. So realize that with patients, typically they have low awareness level. We have fairly high uh, or fairly low levels of uh, utilization uh, within conservative care across the board, regardless of the industry that you're in. And that when we focus on our certifications or our special skill set, frequently it's the wrong language. It's great for peer-to-peer -peer recognition, not great for attracting patients. That's big point number one. Big point number two is, again, it's really about the referral sources, right? So you may think that you're going to be more valuable in the peer-to-peer -peer recognition marketplace and peer-to-peer -peer you're perceiving is referral sources, I've just, I've never seen it unless it's a physician that owns the practice or a healthcare system that owns the practice. One more quick story for you. I mentioned before the story of Eric, who was very adamant that, you know, physicians understood what OCS was. I went to the director of rehab for the local hospital system um, and awesome clinician, awesome physician, uh, very much trust him. And I, I've known him for 23 years. And I said, doctor, I have a question. Do you know what an OCS is? And he said, um, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he said, am I supposed to know? And I said, no, but I, I'm, you're a director of rehab. You oversee physical therapist. I just wanted an occupational therapist, et cetera. I just wanted to know if you knew what an OCS was. And then I told him the rest of the story. So the big point number two is that even outside of physical therapy, most clinicians are not going to, the majority of clinicians are not going to recognize what an OCS is. Yes. And I'm sure you have an outlier and 
you know, you don't need to email me or direct message me that, you know, a doctor or a nurse practitioner or a PA that's referring because you have a, a certification. That's great. I'm just saying the majority of the time, it is not the way that we want to market or position ourselves to other, 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 uh, potential referral sources. In fact, I know from doing the surveys here, there's three things that physicians primarily look for if they're independent right now. Number one is result. They don't want patients to come back that they've referred out to come back with complaints. Um, so that's number one is results. Number two is convenience. That's insurance is accepted and hours you're open and how fast you can get them in. So essentially frictionless appointments. Number three is location that you're in a place that's that you're located in a, an area that's convenient for the patient results, convenience, location. That's what in general, other uh, potential professional referral sources are looking for. And number three is the insurance companies. So again, I've shared, I am in love with manual therapy. That will never change for me. The, uh, you know, just this week, our hot water heater went out at home um, the, I called the, um, HVAC and plumbing company. They sent somebody out who happened to be a friend of mine. I noticed right away when he was taking a look at the element, um, the heating element and the hot water heater that he had a back brace on. I said, Hey man, what's going on? And he told me the story and he said, you know, honestly, I have a cousin every year that I get to see, uh, Dean, his cousin is from York. And he said, Typically, I see him during the Easter holiday, and this year, I didn't get to see him, and here's why. And I said, all right, I have a treatment table. I'll take a look at you upstairs. Treated him, uh, and this longstanding SI joint and uh, lumbosacral issue that he has going on, immediately moved better, less pain, a little bit of soreness, pretty classic, but just followed up with him via text. And um, we got to talking specifically about... Um, insurance companies. So th the big point here is that, yes, I do manual therapy. That's never going away. And I'm not going to change because of uh, insurance companies, because I want to deliver what I perceive to be the best for the patient. What I've learned to do is have a second, third, fourth uh, tool in the toolbox here, in addition to manual therapy. So think about this. If you, if, if you were a clinician, take a look at manual therapy or whatever you value the most in terms of intervention, see what the re see what the reimbursement is from the insurance company. Then look at, for me, I looked at manual therapy, neuromuscular re-ed, therapeutic exercise, therapeutic activity, gait training, et cetera. The lowest reimbursement is manual therapy. So even the insurance company, regardless of how uh, the research that they're looking at or whatever, they in fact are undervaluing or de decreasing the value of manual therapy over time. Um, from what I remember, 15, 20 years ago, it wasn't that way. They were more equal and balanced. However, today, my manual therapy skill set, regardless of the outcome that it produces, is less valuable than it was 20 years ago. The other, yeah, yeah. The, so let's stick with that right now. Um, the other thing that you may find beneficial as I've talked about the five levels of awareness, uh, specifically did a presentation on that at PPS last year on the five, uh, the five levels and how the majority of the population is very low 
level of awareness. Remember this, the main thing that people are looking for, regardless of the type of treatment that you're providing, especially when we're talking about direct to consumer, is the before and after. Before I went in for physical therapy or whatever your type of treatment service is, here's what life was like. Essentially, life was not good. You know, I couldn't go up and down the stairs. I couldn't walk for more than 100 feet um, or I couldn't walk at all. I couldn't reach uh, you know, behind my back to get dressed. You get the idea. After treatment, life is great, right? That's what you're looking for. And if you focus more on that in your in your marketing efforts, the other thing that it will do by leaving out the type of treatment that you're doing, it will create a mystery. It'll create compelling. It'll create a draw from the general public into what you're doing. Again, here's one final test I'll leave you with. I've posted YouTube videos of uh, treatment before and after treatments. Um, and I've done before and after treatments showing what I did. And I, I've done, I've posted before and after treatments, uh, not showing the treatment at all. Not showing the treatment at all and using that in our advertising creates a lot more pull, a lot more interest. And it's it creates something which is called an open loop. Because the person watching this, you know, if, for example, I know the one example, uh, the one gentleman that I treated full thickness rotator cuff tear elevates, you know, inscription or abduction to let's call it 80 degrees. It was less than 90. We show the video, the video cuts to four weeks later, 11, um, therapy visits in when his last day he's graduating and he has 140 degrees, right? So he went from 80 degrees to 140 degrees. It's very visible. This is before PT and after PT we're showing that. And items like that, they create this open loop because the person watching it wonders, what did you do for treatment? And you, here's the big secret, you don't have to tell them, right? And especially if you're looking to attract somebody in. So don't over-educate, focus on the before and after. Uh, and I hope this lands well with you and you've enjoyed uh, this episode as much as I did. I really wanted to share this conversation because I think it's important and I think it's where a lot of clinicians steer wrong and you can do better um, understanding the principles within the market and market yourself, creating more demand for your services. Thanks everybody. See you in the next episode. How low does your profit margin have to go before you decide to do something about it? In this video, I'm going to share three sessions with you in the upcoming patient demand summit that I think are going to affect your bottom line in a positive direction. The first one is steps for negotiating insurance contracts and diversifying your payer mix. We all know that we have certain payers, especially if we're participating with insurance companies that are our lowest and they might be capped. You know, we talk with some practice owners that are getting, you know, 50, 60, $70 a visit, and that's not even covering their cost to provide the care. So in this session, we're going to be talking with Mary DeLong and Bob Kowalik, people that have been doing this literally for decades. They have a ton of experience of helping other owners. And they're going to be sharing exactly how you can go through and negotiate better rates. The next session, which I really think you're going to love, is with a practice owner, Deepak Sharma. Deepak uh, owns a practice in Edmonton, uh, physio practice, and he went from working 80 plus hours a week down to 16. And big secret is, I know factually that some weeks he actually works zero. He treats zero in the clinic. So many of us want to go from working in our business, treating all the time to working on our business. 
And this is in this session, we're going to be covering exactly how Deepak did that. And finally, we're going to have a practice owner panel. And on that panel, we're going to be specifically discussing cash pay products and services that you can add in your practice. And here's the deal. Everybody that's going to be on that panel, this is real world in the trenches. They're dealing with the same problems, declining reimbursements, impossible job environment to hire a clinician in. They're dealing with all the same problems that you and I are as practice owners. So we're going to be getting from them exactly what they've added uh, regarding cash pay services, how they present it, how they've rolled it out with their staff, all the common pitfalls that you and I fall into whenever we're trying to roll out a new service and make a change with our practice model. You're going to love that session as well. So the Patient Demand Summit is on Thursday, May 25th. Again, that's a Thursday. It's from 12 noon to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that's Thursday, May 25th, Patient Demand Summit. Uh, those We not only have those three sessions, there are five other sessions as well. They're all geared specifically to help you increase your profit margin and ultimately improve your bottom line so that you can keep your doors open and continue to serve the area that you're in. However, you do have to register. This is a virtual event. It is free. You do have to register, so there should be a link here. Make sure you click on the link, register, and I will see you at the Patient Demand Summit. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.